Welcome back to Hooked on Horror, your weekly destination for scary stories. Today's story is Hellsworth, an eerie tale about a prestigious boarding school where nothing is quite as it seems. Enjoy. Sophia is standing at the top of the school's bell tower, looking down. She's wearing her Ellsworth Academy uniform and clutching a book to her chest. She closes her eyes, and a tear rolls down her cheek. Just as the bells in the tower start tolling behind her, Sophia Lynn opens her arms wide. Then she falls forward and drops off the tower's ledge. Across the school lawn, another Ellsworth student, Riley, has snuck out of choir practice and into a stall in the chapel bathroom. She takes a long drag from her vape pen, tries to hold it in for as long as possible, then coughs. She stretches up to a small window on the wall and blows away the smoke. And as she does, she sees a body falling from the tower. She screams. The next day, Knox, a new student at Ellsworth Academy, slowly wakes up in the back seat of a taxi. He rubs his hands through his curly black hair, disoriented. How long was I out? Since the airport. A couple hours. You're lucky I didn't drive in circles. I could have run up the fare. Knox winces, aching a bit. He squeezes his right hand to stop it from shaking. So, where are we now? We're here. Knox leans forward, glances through the windshield, and gets his first glimpse of Ellsworth Academy. It's an imposing collection of old stone buildings, ornate and dramatic, like Gothic castles. The tall spire of the bell tower rises from the center of it all. I've heard about this school. Didn't know it was this fancy. You rich kids really got it made. As the taxi rolls up to the school entrance, Knox notices a single word chiseled into the marble archway. Commitment. Ten minutes later, Knox enters an empty dorm room and throws his suitcase on the bed. There's a desk, a chair, a laptop, and a small closet in the room. He pushes at the window, but can't get it open. Knox hears a noise behind him and turns to find two boys standing in the doorway, both wearing Ellsworth uniforms. Don't bother. It's painted shut. You can't open a window in the whole school. I'm Doug Hitchens, but everyone calls me Hitch. And I'm McFadden. We're your welcome committee. Hitch is short and wiry, with a shock of red hair. McFadden is tall and lanky, a full foot taller than Hitch. They make an odd pair. Knox shakes hands with the two boys. The headmaster assigned us to show you how things work around here. The first rule is, nothing works here, especially the windows. It's why they keep the air pumping all day. Knox glances at the air vent above the bed, hearing it hum. It smells like something died. 
Wait till you smell the cafeteria. The dinner fare is damn near lethal. They serve at 6 if you feel adventurous. Bed check is at 10, lights out at 11, 8 a.m. roll call in the morning, and then classes. No weekends off, no vacays, no spring breaks in Daytona. And no cell phones, unfortunately. You'll need to hand yours over. You can't be serious. I know, it's fascist, but they don't like distractions. After a week, you won't even miss it. Knox reaches into his pocket, pulls out his cell phone, and gives it to McFadden, who notices that Knox's hand is shaking. This place is strict. It's a bit like a prison, actually. But at least they do your laundry. (laughs) Is there anything else I should know? McFadden opens the closet door and finds a uniform jacket hanging inside. He pulls it off the hanger and tosses it to Knox. Yeah, you're late for class. Ten minutes later, the two boys lead Knox through the pristine campus. A group of pretty girls passes, smiling, eyeing the handsome new kid. The first couple of days here will feel like months. They like to throw the newbies right into the fire. Don't let it get to you. The trick is find a niche for yourself. You're surrounded by future doctors, presidents, CEOs, blah, blah, blah. You'll go crazy trying to keep up. What you need here is a purpose. Yeah? What's yours? Oh, I'm the good time guy. You need some weed? I'm your man. You like scotch? So do I. Need a cheat sheet, a glowing teacher rack, a box of condoms? Something can always be arranged. As he says this, Hitch pulls a folded paper from his jacket and shows it to Knox. McFadden looks down at Hitch and shakes his head, amused. You're showing him the hit list? Already? He'd see it eventually. Knox opens the paper and finds a list of girls' names, with a price beside each one. Knox considers it with a small smirk. Call it a gentleman's wager. You throw in 50 bucks, you're in the pool. And if you score with a girl on the list, you collect. Subject to verification. Ideally pictures. Charming. (laughs) I know. We're such bad Hitch tucks the list into Knox's coat pocket with a wink. For now, I'll float you the 50. We like to keep things interesting. As the boys turn a corner, they approach the base of the bell tower, where a web of yellow police tape blocks off the perimeter. Two security guards wave students away. What's with the guards? Some girl went over the edge. Literally, ten stories down. They think the pressure got to her. Who was she? Sophia Lin. Never really knew her. Kind of a quiet girl. And even quieter now. Which reminds me, I should probably cross her name off the list. Hitch and McFadden keep walking. Knox pauses a moment and watches a maintenance worker hunched on his knees, scrubbing at bloodstains on the cement. It sends a chill through Knox's spine. Meanwhile, the headmaster of Ellsworth Academy, Armin Cass, sits at the desk in his office and looks at a crime scene photo of Sophia Lynn's body, covered by a coroner's tarp, with blood stains pooled all around her. His hands shake ever so slightly as he holds the photo. He's thin, silver-haired, and solemn. What have they said about her? He's talking to Dr. Mason, the school counselor, who is seated across the desk from him 
From what I can tell, most of them seem to have processed it by now. I doubt we'll see any lingering effects. The student's ability to compartmentalize the past and the present is advanced, as we know. Well, that didn't stop Sophia. So let's keep our eyes and ears open this time. He grabs another file. Now, what about our new transfer student, Knox? There haven't been any issues so far, but it's early. The headmaster leafs through the file, which includes various photos of Knox. The file is surprisingly thick. A father who went to Ellsworth. Well, that's always helpful. How has his academic effort been? It's been sufficient. He's expressed his commitment to Harvard on several occasions. He seems competitive, driven, and physically he's quite gifted. All the traits we hope to find. That evening, Knox is in the Ellsworth Academy weight room. He's shirtless and jumping rope in front of a wall of mirrors. He's speed roping like a boxer, and his curly black hair is slicked with sweat. He glares at his own reflection, as if challenging himself. What he doesn't realize is that someone is watching him from the other side of the mirror. Two days later, chemistry lab is in progress. Knox stands at a station, trying to light his Bunsen burner with a flint striker. Yet his shaking hand won't let him do it. He tries to steady himself, until Riley leans forward and lights it with her own striker. The blue flame pops to life. Knox nods at her, a bit embarrassed. Thanks. It's the least I could do. Nobody wants to see the new boy blow himself up. Riley lingers, watching Knox secure a flask over the burner, despite his shaking right hand. Knox tries to brush it off. Guess it's time to go decaf. Or just go to the infirmary. They'll give you medication for that, no questions asked. Heck, everyone here is on something. So I've noticed. I'd rather stay off all that, if you don't mind. Riley smiles and brushes a section of her blonde hair suggestively behind her ear. Then, she leans forward and whispers, I meant for me, Smarty. See if they'll give you Percocet. It's always been a favorite. You snag me a dose of that, and hey, I'll light your fire whenever you want. She grins. Oh, and I'm Riley, by the way. Did I mention that yet? I know who you are. And how's that, hmm? Let's just say a guy gave me a list of names, and yours was at the top. Ugh, I'm aware of that list. I thought you boys had outgrown it by now. Well, it's not really my thing. It should be. You do all right. The new boy always draws a crowd. Riley gives him a coy wink and turns down the gas a bit. Safety first. That evening, Ellsworth students fill the cafeteria carrying trays and taking seats at long community tables. As Knox joins the buffet line, Riley monitors him from a distant table. She spots Hitch's unmistakable red hair a few tables over and waves him over. Then she speaks to him quietly. What do we know about the new boy? It depends. What's it worth to you? Riley raises a brow. 
How about $500? You think I have $500? No, but if you're willing to tell a few people that we slept together, I could collect $500. Hmm. I'd rather just do you in secret. Seriously? God, no. Don't be gross. I'm just asking for some basic information. Do I have to say pretty, please? Hitch sighs and shakes his head in defeat. Of course he'll do it for her. He'd do anything for her. Then work your magic. In the buffet line, Knox moves with the crowd from station to station, sizing up the menu options. They aren't encouraging. There's nothing but soupy casseroles and mystery meats. You look terrified. Behind the glass, a young server with wavy brown hair tucked into a hairnet smiles at him. Don't be afraid. It's called shepherd's pie. It's totally edible. Good God, what's in it? Well, if I told you that, I'm pretty sure I'd have to kill you. Violet smiles and dishes out a big steaming heap of shepherd's pie. She hands it to him. They seem to share a brief connection, until they're interrupted by Palmer, the school's star lacrosse player and big man on campus. Don't hug the help, man. This girl's got a job to do. Palmer glances at the girl's name tag. Isn't that right? Violet? Palmer, six foot four and all muscle, nudges his way to the counter, cutting in line. He gives Knox a small nod. And how does a girl named Violet end up wearing a hairnet for 12 hours a day? It doesn't suit. He winks at Violet. If you don't mind, I'm going to call you Marge. It fits you. Violet rolls her eyes and serves him a plate. There it is. Service with a smile. Knox leaves quietly. Fifteen minutes later, Palmer sits with a group of friends, laughing a bit too loudly. A stack of messy plates is pushed to the edge of the tables, waiting to be collected. Palmer spots Knox studying by himself at a nearby table and whistles at him. Hey, man, why don't you come and sit with us? We got plenty of room here. Knox doesn't answer. He continues reading his textbook. Ah, I see you've got a book. Must be a good one. Can't put it down, huh? Again, there's no response from Knox. Palmer glances at his friends, then looks back at Knox. Hey, me again. Just curious, do you respect tradition? Because there's one you seem to be neglecting. Newbies always clean the plates at dinner. It's how you earn your stripes at Hellsworth. <laughs> That's what most of us call this place. Palmer slowly shoves the pile of plates off the edge of the table. They crash in a heap onto the floor. The cafeteria goes quiet. Go ahead. We're waiting. Knox continues to look down at his textbook. Violet and another cafeteria worker come over to clean up the mess themselves. Palmer just shakes his head. You're going to make Marge do it for you? <laughs> That's just shameful. As Violet crouches down to the floor, Palmer smiles. I respect the working class. Look at her go, like a busy little beaver. F*** you. F*** me? F*** you, you're fired. How does that sound, you stupid bitch? We can make that happen. Before he can say another word, 
Knox is on top of him, grabbing his neck, literally taking him by his red uniform tie and choking him with it. Palmer can barely speak. His face is going red, filling with blood. He gasps for breath. Like, go, what the fuck? Everyone is stunned by Knox's sudden burst of violence. Some students try to intervene, grabbing at Knox and punching him, but they can't stop him. Let him go, please, let go! Teachers and staff swarm around Knox, trying to rein him in, until finally, he relents. Panting and sweating, he looks around, wild-eyed, then quickly darts out of the dining hall. From a distance, Riley watches with her mouth agape. Hitch raises an eyebrow at her. Anything else you want to know? Moments later, Knox storms away from the dining hall. His fists are clenched, and he's shaking with adrenaline. There's an eerie stillness in the night. Knox hears footsteps and finds Violet jogging to catch up to him. She's waving his textbook. You forgot your book. She approaches him tentatively. So, are we cool now? You're not going to jump me too, are you? I don't know. I hope not. Knox shakes his head, trying to make sense of what just happened. That wasn't me back there. Who was it then? Someone else. Well, whoever it was, thank him for me. Most kids here treat the staff like we're trailer trash. I'm glad to see you're not one of them. I'm not sure what I am anymore. Violet nods, a bit unsure. She hands him the book. Well, good luck with that. I, um, I guess I should get back. Gotta clean up the mess you made. Sorry about that. He pauses, then remembers her name. Violet. She forces a smile and turns to leave. Then she stops. Be careful here. Everybody in town says this school is cursed. What happened to that dead girl? could always happen again. After all, there's a reason they call this place Hellsworth, right? As Knox and Violet speak, someone 100 feet away is looking at Violet through the crosshairs of a rifle scope. First, the crosshairs are aimed directly at Violet. Then they shift and move over to Knox, lining up for a perfect, clean, headshot. But nothing happens. This time. Early the next morning, Knox is in his bed. His eyes are shut. Tiny beads of sweat are rolling down his brow. He's moaning, only half conscious. He seems to be in pain. The sound of an alarm causes his eyes to flutter open. When he finally wakes, he finds himself sprawled on the dingy carpet floor of an apartment-building hallway. He chokes with a sudden inhalation of a black smoke. And that's when he realizes the building is on fire. Flames are rolling up the walls around him and spreading down to the carpet. Fire alarms are blaring. Knox struggles to his feet, panicking as the flames climb up his pant legs. Knox hears panicked voices from somewhere in the smoke, calling out, Help us! Help us! Somebody help! He hurries down the hall, pounding on doors, looking for the source. 
Burning tiles drop from above. Sparks fly from swinging lights. The whole structure starts imploding around him. At the end of the hall, a single window glows through the smoke. Illuminated by the glare of helicopter searchlights, Knox sprints through the fire, choking. He rushes for the window and with a flying leap, smashes through the glass. Knox bursts awake. He's coughing and shaking, curled in his bed, drenched in sweat, reeling from the nightmare. He stumbles to the window and tries to open it, but it's impossible. He bangs his fist on the panes, feeling trapped. Then he hears McFadden in the hallway, arguing with someone. Where is it? Give it to me! Knox unlocks his door and heads outside. He finds McFadden standing in nothing but his boxers, his pale, exposed legs looking even longer than normal. He's shouting at one of the school janitors in the hallway. It was here yesterday, and today it's gone. It's as simple as that. Other boys emerge from their rooms to see what's going on. All the while, the janitor, Emilio, stands next to his cleaning cart, looking confused and protesting his innocence. Whoa, whoa, take it easy. It's a fountain pen, an antique waterman. My grandpa gave it to me before he died. You can't just replace something like that. Emilio just shakes his head. Then three other workers from the cleaning crew come onto the scene. All of them are in jumpsuit uniforms, talking in Spanish. Oh, look, here comes the rest of the barrio right on cue. Another janitor, Angel, tries to calm down Emilio. Then Angel turns to McFadden. He cleans the room he doesn't steal. He says he doesn't understand. Oh, he can understand me. I've seen the way he listens to us. He glares at Emilio. Look at me. I'm watching you. From now on, I am always watching. It's then that Knox and Hitch grab McFadden by the arms and pull him away. McFadden glowers at the two boys, but submits. <sighs> Just wait till it's your stuff they're stealing, assholes. As they head down the hall, McFadden glances at Knox and gives him an odd look. Dude, what happened to you? What? Your face, man. Knox looks confused, unaware that his nose is bleeding. He wipes at his face and finds his fingers covered in blood. Jesus. The next morning, Knox dabs at his nose with a blood-stained tissue. He's sitting across from his counselor, Dr. Mason. His black hair is a tangled mess. Have you had this problem before? No, sir. It just starts bleeding. But only since I've been here. We'll put you on some medication for it. Better to be cautious. Dr. Mason looks over Knox's student file, reviewing some paperwork and adding notes. Beyond the nosebleeds and the incident in the dining hall, how would you describe your transition? My transition? As a student, here at Ellsworth. Knox just shrugs. Dr. Mason lowers his file and smiles. Look, I know it's tough. Believe me, I get that. I did it myself 20 years ago. And as a student, I hated this place. But as a counselor, 20 years later, I realize it's made me a better man. We're all trying to get you there. So how can we help you do that, Knox? I don't know. I mean, everything about this place feels... Different. As it should. We pride ourselves on being different. It wasn't a compliment, sir. Dr. Mason looks up from the file. 
There's a smell in the air. It's like a hospital. Antiseptic. The food tastes like it, too. Like it was all made in a lab somewhere. Interesting complaint. I've never heard that from other students. <sighs> Maybe they're from the same lab. There's a knock on the door. Dr. Mason ignores it. Instead, he looks at Knox. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Everyone here is perfect. Smart, motivated, in the exact same way. It's like they're made from the same mold. There's another knock. And Headmaster Cass pokes his head inside. Sorry. Hope I'm not interrupting. I thought I'd drop in and make the acquaintance of our new student. He nods at Knox. When you're finished, son, stop by my office. We'll take a walk. Actually, we're finished now. Dr. Mason returns to his file. There's a slight edge to his voice when he speaks next. I'd say we've covered enough. Moments later, Knox walks through the main hallway of the administrative building, alongside Mr. Cass. Faded class portraits hang on the walls, beside school crests and varsity sweaters. Knox notes each in passing. I was disappointed to hear about the skirmish in the dining hall. It's not the first we've had at Ellsworth, and it surely won't be the last. Boys will be boys. But knowing your father as I once did, I suppose I expected better from you. Well, sir, it's hard living up to someone you barely even know. Mr. Cass puts a reassuring hand on Knox's back as they walk. Those for whom little is expected, little is achieved. Yet when greatness is expected, then and only then can greatness be possible. Do you understand that? You want us to be the best. We don't want it. We need it. The world is haunted by mediocrity because it accepts it. It breeds it. But not here. Not at Ellsworth. We expect so much of you here because, frankly, anything less would be a disservice to you. If that makes us different, so be it. We're not like the rest of the world. We're better than that. Cass stops at an old class photo on the wall and leans in closer to see it. He invites Knox to do the same. Do you recognize anyone? You mean my father? Mr. Cass nods. Knox looks a bit closer, really studying it. In the old photo, a hundred teenage boys stare back at Knox. All of them are in Ellsworth jackets, with the same youthful swagger. Knox scans the faces, one after the next. But he can't find his father's. Well, keep looking. I'm sure you'll find him in here, somewhere. That night, Knox is in the library, looking through a stack of old yearbooks on a table. He pours over each one, reviewing various class photos, searching for a familiar face. But he finds nothing. Hello, sunshine. Riley appears over his shoulder and takes a seat beside him. Last time I saw you, you were throwing my ex across a table. That guy was your ex? One of them. Your ex is an asshole. That's why he's my ex. She smiles. And he's not so bad. He's just got that alpha dog thing going on. He's always barking about something. 
A few nearby students try to shush her, but Riley just sneers at them. She leans closer to Knox and glances at the yearbooks. So, who are we looking for? A ghost from the past. I'm chasing one of those myself. Riley looks around, secretively, and puts a piece of paper in front of him. It's a torn page from a book with a message in the margins. Knox quietly reads the words aloud. Awake, arise, or be forever fallen. Kind of pretty, huh? I guess. Who wrote it? Milton originally. It's from Paradise Lost. But the person who wrote it in the margins, well, that was a girl named Sophia Lynn. The girl who fell from the tower. Riley quietly takes back the paper, refolds it, and puts it in her pocket. Sophia was holding that book when she hit the ground. They were finding pieces of it, and of her, for days. But I found this one in her room, on her pillow. She left it for us. Like a suicide note. Or a warning. Knox looks at her closely, trying to gauge if she's serious. You don't find that compelling? It's none of my business. Oh, you're probably right. I mean, you seem like a well-adjusted boy, with the table throwing and that perpetual shaking hand of yours. Knox glances at his hand, unaware it was even shaking. Riley gets up, then leans in and whispers in Knox's ear. Something is wrong with this school, and I know deep down that you feel it too. Let me show you something. I swear it'll blow your mind. A few hours later, Riley and Knox are sneaking away into the shadows of Ellsworth Academy. It's nighttime. Their voices are hushed. The lights of dorm windows glow in the distance behind them. We can't do this in the morning? It might be gone by morning. Besides, it gives us time to chat. About what? About you, of course. You're quite the mystery around here. I've heard you were kicked out of your last school, though nobody knows exactly why. Some people say you left a girlfriend back home. Or maybe a boyfriend back home. Is that what people say? People will say lots of things. When they don't know the truth. Riley pauses, fishing for a response. But Knox stays quiet. Well, don't spill it all at once. I just want to know what you were like before you came here. Because this school changes people. With that, she smirks and pushes forward and leads Knox into the horse stables. Shafts of moonlight filter down from the high ceilings of the stables. The horses stir in their stalls. I've been working down here since last semester. If you help keep the stalls clean, they'll let you ride whenever you feel like it. Knox looks around. In the darkness, he hears the huffing of horses. Riley heads to the last stall. So, I came for a quick ride before dinner, and lo and behold, look what I found. Riley hits a light switch, turning on a single bulb hanging above the last stall. In the stall is a parked car, half buried in hay and hidden under a tarp. Knox pulls off the tarp, revealing a yellow taxi. Look familiar? Vaguely. Oh, stop it. You know it does. That's the cab that brought you here. Which, as it turns out, is the same cab that brought me here. Look at the license. Same driver. Knox looks inside 
and sees the same taxi driver ID on the dash. So why is it here now? Exactly. I've been at this school for two years, and I never questioned what was going on. Kids would be here one day, gone the next. They couldn't make grades, their parents pulled them out, they'd start to freak, whatever. I knew something was wrong deep down, but I just never cared enough to look into it. But Sophia did, and now she's dead. Suddenly, Riley and Knox hear voices. Riley panics and turns off the light. She quickly pulls the tarp back over the cab. They hear the sound of footsteps entering the stables. Riley, over here. Knox gestures to an open window in an upper berth. He strains to lift Riley high enough to reach it, quietly as he can. Then, as the footsteps draw near, he pulls himself up and escapes with her. Minutes later, Knox and Riley rush back through the darkened quad, darting among the shadows. Knox still brushing hay off his jacket. Don't tell me that wasn't weird. It was very weird. Now I'm going to smell like horse for a week. As they duck behind a tree, Riley stops for a moment and helps sweep debris off Knox's shoulder. I can make it all worth it. I hear I'm worth 500 bucks on the hit list. Riley cups Knox's face in her hands. She brings her lips just inches from his, and then gives him a playful push. But I'm going to hold out for more. Are you serious? Oh, wait. There's a chem lab quiz tomorrow. Can't have you flunking out of here, can we? And with that, she's gone, running toward the girl's dorm. Knox can't help smiling as he watches her disappear into the dark. That girl is crazy. Just then, a male voice startles him from behind. You shouldn't be out here. Knox barely has time to turn before a burlap hood is thrown over his face. He panics and calls for help, but his cries are muffled. He tries to fight, but he can't even see who's there as he's dragged away into the darkness. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And stay tuned for the next episode. Episode.